0: The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up PTB Nation? Welcome to another episode of Park in the Bus, Euro edition. It's episode 50 tonight. This is the 50th Park in the Bus episode. And um well, if you're expecting the normal incredibly pleasant chipper me, you're not getting that tonight. <laughs> okay. Um what a day. What a day. Okay. Uh, we had some incredible results today we had uh hungry let's uh, what can i say about hungry phenomenal results i told you not to sleep on germany as well guys um i was worried about them i didn't expect that but i was worried about it okay i thought we were going to get a little more out of it and um there you see right there and uh yeah it's Almost as if Fernando Santos wants a third place today, because I'll get into when we talk about this match, but like there was every substitution he made. None of them addressed the problem. I'll get to it after. But uh, yeah, not to mention Spain. What made me feel a little bit better was watching Spain connect another 2,852 passes and have one goal to show for it and then allow Robert Lewandowski to, to equalize. So it could be worse, I suppose, but uh no, on, the, on the, uh, the reel right here, we got some good news Uh came out yesterday and I didn't mention it yesterday. Uh, Christian Erickson is out of the hospital. Okay. Out of uh, observation. So that is good news for him and good news for everybody. Obviously. Um, will we see him on a football pitch again? I don't know, but What a day (laughs) I was on here last night talking about England, right? And talking about Garrett Southgate, talking about the changes that I thought he should have made or the changes that he didn't make that I didn't think were the answer. I got a whole load of that about Fernando Santos tonight. Okay. And listen, I think I'm being very fair because a lot of times I find myself defending this man to just about everybody. Okay. I find myself defending him to just about everybody. And, um, well, I might be on the other side of the coin today, but I'm hoping that through the uh, through this hour, um, when we get to that match, I'm going to sort it out and um, hopefully get to the problems and offer a solution. One thing I'm not going to do is use the use this platform, use these airwaves to come on here and just start calling for a manager's head. Why am I not calling for a sacking? Well. Who are we going to get to replace him? That's the first question. You think I want the U21 coach, who is George? No. Um, who, <laughs> you know, the, Fades and I talked about this earlier this week. The national team managers are different than the club managers. And it's a different job. And a lot of them are not cut out for it. Because it's, it's a bit more difficult because you cannot just go find players you need. Now, Portugal doesn't have that problem. Portugal's problem today was 100% a systematic problem. It was a problem in the system of play. It was a problem in the positioning that I think could have really been solved with just some minor adjustments. That didn't happen. We got another goal from Ronaldo, though. He adds to his totally, total... Uh, his tallies, 12 goals now, and apparently he broke another record today where he became the all-time assist leader in Euro history. Um, Seems like every time he plays, it some other record gets broken. Uh, next game, he'll be the oldest player to ever score on a Wednesday or something like that. Who knows what they're going to come up with, okay? But um, one thing you can't say is that he didn't play like a captain today. All right. right out of pers- basically nothing he gave a goal and an assist okay germany gave up nothing um in terms of for him okay and i think again coaching could have maybe tweaked a few things there and could have found him in better places but the major problem was never addressed okay we'll we'll get to that later let's um let's start the night on on the first game of the day, okay? And if you don't know by now, this is night nine or day nine of Euro 2020. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinio, and this is the ninth day in a row you have heard from me. Uh, we've been breaking down the matches as the tournament goes on. This is your living audiobook of Euro 2020, okay? That's essentially what this is. Every night is a new chapter, okay? And tonight was the night where the Mr., Start And by that, I'm talking about myself, not about Fernando Santos. Starts, um, finds himself in a different role. All of a sudden, I'm going to be honest, this feels like Mr. Benfica tonight. And I'm going to tell you why. It's just damper. It's the way Mr. Benfica has been for the last 18 months. Okay, it's just a down note. Somber right now. But, but like I always do, I'm going to break this down and I'm going to get to it. But first, we're going to go to the Hungry versus france match i'm gonna pull up the information for that right now for you guys while i do that make sure you go over to www.parkinthebusmedia.com okay sign the guest book there make sure you go to twitter and to instagram and follow at ptb underscore media and make sure that you know you you go to the youtube page Subscribe, hit that subscribe button I need to see more subscribers People, we got good numbers Watching in Periscope, okay Every night I got good numbers on Periscope We gotta get some subscribers Over on YouTube now, okay Go over, go to YouTube It's PTB Media Network All right, the link is in the show notes If I'm not mistaken Uh, Hit the subscribe button, hit the little bell Next to it, so that you get Alerted when Parking the bus goes live. Okay. So we got hungry at home again in front of another raucous, raucous 67,000 or so um, taking on the world champions, the favorites. And to be honest, as much as the romantic in me is thrilled for this result, as a Portugal supporter, this was the worst thing that could happen. I said yesterday I wanted to see France qualify today. I wanted them going into this final match day three, having already qualified. That didn't happen. Hungary spoiled it. <laughs> All right, congratulations to them. But and at the time I was I was happy, but right now. It is not looking good. Hungary and Germany will be an interesting tie on the final day. It'll be the final day of the group stage. Portugal have a lot to figure out before they take the pitch against against France. I think France is going to be extra motivated. They haven't forgotten July 11th, 2016. Winning the World Cup does not erase July 11th, 2016. Um, And they'd love nothing more than to send Portugal home in the group stage. Something that has never happened to Portugal at the Euros. Every time they have qualified for the Euros, Portugal have advanced out of the group stage. Portugal have lost a total, if I'm not mistaken, of four group stage games ever at the Euro. 2004 against Greece. Shout out to DGNs United. 2008 against Switzerland after having already advanced, 2012 against Germany, and today against Germany. What is the reoccurring story there? Not that this is a Portugal podcast, so I'm going to try to not continue to go in that direction. But half of all of Portugal's group stage losses in the history of the Euro have been to Germany. Factor in World Cups. Since 2006, Portugal have lost exactly one group stage game at the World Cup. Want to take a guess as to who they lost to? Germany, four 0 It was just like today. All right, let let's get into Hungary versus versus France. Uh, that was the early game today, so we're gonna get this. We're gonna go through this one first. Hungary come out at home, like we said. They are at the Puskas Stadium in Budapest. And the official attendance, 55,998, nearly a sellout. Um, I shouldn't say nearly a sellout. Nearly a f- 100% capacity. It was indeed a sellout. but Okay, 352 for Hungary. Peter Gulasi in goal. Andre Botka, Will Orban, and Attila Salai across the back. They're still playing with three in the back. And maybe this is something Portugal might want to think about. I don't know. Um, not going down that rabbit hole, actually. Okay, five in midfield. Logic Nigo and Attila Fiola are the two wingbacks. In the center of midfield, you've got Laszlo Kleinheiser. Adam Nagy and Andreas Schafer. Okay. And the strikers are Roland Salai and Adam Schafer. Okay. Um, For France, Didier Deschamps comes out in a 4-3, 2-1. Hugo Lloris, obviously the goalkeeper, the four across the back. Benjamin Pavard is the right back. Raphael Varane and Presnel Kimpembe, the center back pairing with Lucas Dinier, As the left back, the trio in midfield is N'Golo Kante, anchoring, of course, one of the best players in the world. To his right, Paul Pogba. To his left, Adrian Rabio. Antoine Griezmann playing in the number 10 position behind Karim Benzema and Kylian Mbappe. What a team. Okay. But I do have to say it starts out, and I was working this morning, so I did not, at first glance, see this game until after halftime. I came home at halftime. I got home about halftime, but we go to the first half, okay? And we get a clumsy challenge from Varan on Salai right in the fourth minute, and Hungary have a free kick in a good position. On the left, Salai swings across into the box, but it's a poor one from him. That's cleared by Varan. Okay, in the 10th minute, Benjamin Pavard goes into the referee's book. He caught Salai with a couple of late challenges in the in the few minutes preceding and earns a yellow card on this one here in the 10th minute. France struggling to find a way to get in behind Hungary, kind of the same struggle Portugal was having earlier this week when they played Hungary. Uh, Mbappe has dropped to the halfway line to try and get the ball. bought quickly across to him, though. And he ends up bringing him down. So in the 12th minute, we get we get a foul. In the 14th, we got a double save. Mbappe lays it off to Benzema on the edge of the box. And he takes a touch before drilling a low shot towards the far post. Gulasi with a save. He manages to push it away on the stretch. But it goes straight to Antoine Griezmann. And Griezmann hits his shot straight back at the keeper before Orban hooks it clear. France looking comfortable early on, but unable, like it said, to get in behind. Starting to open Hungary up, though, in the 19th, and Dignier finds himself in some space down the left. Pulls a low cross back to Pogba at the edge of the box. And he can't lay it off for Griezmann as Orban intercepts once again. Okay, so we got an injury now in the 26th minute. The captain, Adam Shalai, has got a concussion. So the concussion protocol put in place now. And he's straight taken straight down the tunnel by the medical team after going off. And it is Nemanja Nikolic coming on for Adam Shalai. And that is it for the captain. Hungary try to push up field quickly. Uh, a few minutes later when they win the ball back with Nagy playing a through ball down the left for Salai. To chase, Kampembe goes across to stand his ground. And Kampembe ends up winning a free kick. 35th minute sloppy pass from Diego, Uh Gifts the ball back to Mbappe. Mbappe, and he sets off on the counter. Squares it to Benzema on the edge of the box. But Hungary quickly get back into their shape and block his pass to Griezmann. Hungary very, very good in sitting in. Very, very good in cutting passing lanes. Very, very good in cutting shooting lanes. This is something they have done very well now through 180 minutes against two of the world's top six teams, two of the world's top five teams. Okay. Um, Kleinheiser goes close in the 40-30. Nicks it off Mbappe and drives it through midfield before it gets switched out to Salai on the left, who tries to curl across into the box to return it to Kleinheiser, but Fiola gets in the way, knocks the ball down and out for a goal kick. The two teammates get in each other's way. In the 45th, Kimpembe's clearance loops up and into the air. Salai doesn't give him any space to bring it down. Uh, Dinier tries to tidy up by knocking it back to Loris, and he just manages to clear it before Kleinheiser is there to close him down. But two minutes later, 40 plus two, the world goes into a state of shock. At least the football world. It's a completely against the run of play, but Fiola gets a goal here, and it means France are behind a poor clearance from Benjamin Pavard, which gifts the ball back to Hungary, and Sly knocks it through the air to Fiola. He gets goal side of Iran before slotting it in the near post, 1-0. To the Hungarians at home. And the 55,000 go absolutely bananas. What a reaction. What a crowd. What a sound to hear a home fan base erupt. Salai's pressure down the left paid off for the hosts as he closed down Pavard and started started the move that set Hungary on the counter attack. Good assist for Roland Salai. Let's take it to halftime. Hungary took a shock 1-0 lead over France into halftime. The visitors dominated the first half and created some great chances, but Galachi made a great double save to deny Benzema and Griezmann early before Mbappe sent an unmarked header wide of the far post. France were made to rue those missed chances in stoppage time, though, as Pavard's mistake gifted possession back to Hungary, which led to Fiola's slotting the ball past Yoris. France look rattled in the final moments of the first half of the stoppage time. After Hungary's goal, Deschamps going to be unhappy with this, especially after their dominance in the first 45 minutes. And they created some good chances, but they haven't been in clinical form in front of goal. Rossi, on the other hand, the manager of Hungary, Uh, We'll be delighted with the result as it stands. Hungary have dealt with France's attacks fairly well and now have a lead to protect them after the break. Second half. All right. And. Pogba cuts down inside from a left from the left and he manages to get a yard of space away from Schaefer as he slips just as he hits the shot, and it sends it the shot just wide of the far post. Very frustrated was uh Paul Pogba on this one as he had a good chance to equalize, had a good chance here. And if he his plant foot had hadn't have slid out from under him, I think he might have hit the frame with this one. But as it was, his foot slid and his shot went wide. 52nd minute Andre Abotka goes in the book for. A for a sliding in late on Mbappé from behind, shown the yellow card. Deschamps decides to make a substitution in the 57th minute. Osman Dambele's day begins. He comes on replacing Adrian Rabio and France start gaining some momentum. And in the 59th, Dembele drives forward on the right. The substitute cuts inside before wrong footing two Hungary defenders to open up space. Drilling a shot at the near post. Galazzi is beaten, but it bounces back off the woodwork. France's frustration still on show here in the 63rd minute. They're trying to force things uh, when they get into the final third. Griezmann swings a hopeful deep cross into the box. But it's over everyone's head and out for a goal kick. Salah is causing France all sorts of problems with his runs in behind. And he's driving down the left again. Pavard gets across to cut him off and gives away a free kick. But it comes to nothing. But then the moment comes for Le Bleu. Okay, the, the French team going forward. And it is Antoine Griezmann. Coming up with the equalizer. Laurie, I like this goal. And here's what I like about this goal. It took about 3.6 seconds for this ball to get from Hugo Lloris into the attacking third, into the back of the net to equalize. Lloris goes long, and Mbappe's pressure on the go pays off as he opens up space to square it to the middle of the box. Orban can't get contact when he wants to clear it. This all comes off of a poor clearance. And again, it all comes off of the long ball going over the top. And this is going to be a theme because I'm going to talk about this in the next game. We talked about this also in France versus Germany earlier this week. It forces the defenders to rotate and face their own goal. And when you get the opposition's defense facing their own goal, good things happen for you as an attacker. This one, it forces Orban as he's trying to clear it. He's unable to open his hips correctly and unable to get enough forced behind the ball to clear it away from danger. Instead, he pops it right out to Antoine Griezmann, who makes no mistake and smashes it into the netting. 1-1. Les Bleu are on the board. Antoine Griezmann with the goal. And France's confidence returns after this goal. Okay. Uh, Dembele pushing forward down the right again. He skips away from Sheffer's challenge in the 68th before being brought down by Shalai. 69th, it's a great chance as Griezmann is standing over the free kick on the right. Curls a great cross over the top for Mbappe at the near post. He sticks out a leg to hit the shot first time, but can only pick out the side netting. Griezmann's goal was his seventh at the Euros, and only Cristiano Ronaldo and Michel Platini have scored more goals at the Euros than Antoine Griezmann. Griezmann with seven, Platini with with nine. Cristiano Ronaldo at the time of this goal was with 11. We know now that he has 12. And uh, Antoine Griezmann is your third all-time leading scorer in Euro history. Dembele pulls away in the 73rd from Fiola. Down the right again. Drills a dangerous cross to the near post, which Shalai pokes away. He gets it to Griezmann, who knocks it to Kante, who just before he's fouled, the midfielder fires a shot just wide. Substitutions now for both teams here in the 76th minute. First, it's Hungary sending on Thomas Serri as he replaces Andres Schaffer. While France send on Corentin Tolisso and Olivier Giroud for Kérim Benzema and Paul Pogba. So, two substitutions there. France patiently waiting to open Hungary up as they get, they've got all their players sitting deep. And it's worked out to Dembele on the right. He loops a deep cross into the far post, but it's headed away by Orban. Griezmann can't find any space in the 80th. Down the left, he switches the play out to Dambele, who is on the opposite flank. Two hungry defenders quickly close him down and manage to block his cross. France starting to push, starting to threaten. Hungary retreating more and more here as we enter the final 10 minutes of the match. Another substitution made by Rossi, and it is... Jergo six entering the match, replacing Laszlo Kleinheiser. And a few minutes later in the 87th minute, it's one of those moments um, that no player likes to, to, it's one of those situations no player likes to be in. Thomas Lamar comes on. Osmond Dambele, who was subbed on a half hour earlier, is now subbed off in the 87th. Looks like Dambele, who was brought on, is struggling with a muscle injury, and he goes off with Thomas Lamar coming on in his place. Frustrating day, no doubt, for Osman Dambele. Now, Lamar spots uh, Griezmann pulling away from Botka on the left, tries to switch play out to him, but he cuts inside too early, which gives Lovren 6 time to get back and clear the danger. In the 90th plus three, it's a heavy first touch from Conte who makes Fiola think he can win the ball. But he slides in late on the midfielder and France have a dangerous free kick just near the byline on the right. Griezmann swings it in, but Gulachi is there again to punch it away. One last close one here in the 90th plus five. France as goes close as Digne swings another cross into the box from the left. Veron rises the highest in the middle to meet it. His glance He glances his header on, but he sends it wide of the far post. And the final whistle goes, a share of the spoils to each team. Hungary get an all-important point because they are still alive now. They're going to go into their final match against Germany. In Germany, however, they're not going to be playing in front of their loyal fan base uh, in match day three. They're traveling to Munich to take on Germany. And they have to win if they want to advance. Let me say right now, for the record, I hope they don't win. No offense, Hungary. Although, maybe I should hope they win. (laughs) Because, um, listen, if they get four points, they're going to go through most likely. They're going to make up uh, that three. That real goal difference, though, will probably come back to hurt Hungary. That negative three goal difference. They still have a negative three goal difference. And if it's between them and Portugal for third place, Portugal have the head to head. Okay. So they're going to need help in match day three as well from France. They're going to need to win and hope that France wins. Very simple. Okay. Um But overall, a good, good match for for Hungary here in front of their home fans. France come from behind to earn a 1-1 draw with Hungary. France dominated the first half, but Benzema and Mbappe both missed some great chances. A mistake at the back allowed Hungary to counter, and Fiola gave them a shock 1-0 lead. At the break, France struggled in the second half, but did manage to find the equalizer after Griezmann fired in Orban's poor clearance of Iran had a late chance to win, to win it, but it went wide of the post in the final seconds. France go top of the group in group F. Okay. A couple of statistics from this one. Let's take a look at it. Possession 66.5% to France to 335 to Hungary. Total shots 15 to 5 in favor of les bleus. Chances created 12 for France, 6 for Hungary. Accurate passes 589 to 267. So, France doubled up Hungary in passes completed and that's all you need to know about that stat because it's it, the match finished 1-1. Yes, it's important to complete passes, don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of passes <laughs> in a game of football. That do not produce anything other than having seconds tick off the clock. France won in corners as well. They had three to Hungary's one 15 total shots. As we said, uh, duels won. France won that handedly 57 to 38 France leads every statistic except the one that matters because the two teams will be forced to share the points. Okay now we move to munich the second game of the day portugal versus germany i kind of began to rant on this one a little earlier and now we've got the lineups i'll start with germany manuel neuer in goal three across the back in a three four two one matthias Ginter, matt Hummels, and antonio rudiger no surprises there Joshua Kimmich and Robin Gossens are the two wingbacks. Uh, Gossens especially was a key, key man in this team today. Kimmich was open just as uh, much as Gossens was. It's just that they chose to attack down their left most of the time. The the two in the center of midfield, Ilke Gundogan, Manchester City and Tony Cruz of Real Madrid. Um, In front of them, you have Thomas Mueller and Kai Havertz. And the striker alone up top is Serge Gnabry. Portugal unchanged from match day one. Rui Patricio in gold. Nelson Semedo. Pepe uh, Ruben Dias, and Rafael Guerrero in the back. William and Danilo as the holding midfielders. Again, on paper, this is a 4-2-3-1. Anyone that watched the match saw saw Portugal play a 4-3-3. And that's why we got roasted on, on the overload on both flanks. because. These guys, Diogo Jota and Bernardo Silva played up with Ronaldo in the front three. This was not a a midfield three, okay? Which left a triangle in the middle of the two holding mids, Danilo and William, and Bruno Fernandes. Now, again, everybody's beating on Bruno Fernandes right now. But that is not the type of player he is. We saw, France, we, we saw France's lineup a, a few minutes ago. We talked about it. Bruno should be playing the same exact role for Portugal that Antoine Griezmann plays for France. He doesn't. He's playing with two holding midfielders, which means anything going forward out of the midfield is his responsibility. And once the ball is lost, he's expected to retreat. He's expected to fill in and play as a, a true midfielder and not as the an attacking midfielder, which is what he normally does, which is what he is very good at. Again, Bernardo Silva, Diogo Jota, and Cristiano Ronaldo in the attack. And again, I cannot have any complaints. I don't want to hear anymore how this team is better with Cristiano Ronaldo or without Cristiano Ronaldo. Without him today... This match is a 4-0 loss or worse. Now, Bernardo Silva gets a lot of credit for that first goal. I guess we can start there, the first goal. Actually, before we get the first goal is a key match. Germany tees what they're going to do this match, okay? The ball gets knocked out wide to Kimmich. Kimmich drills a diagonal cross to the far post. Just out of the reach of... Serge Gnabry, And it's a good thing that he went for this because he was offside. And had he not tried to play this, it would have been right on to the foot of Robin Gauzins at the far post. And Robin Gauzins would have made it 1 0 then. He would have made it 1 0 right there and then within inside of the first 10 minutes. In fact, Uh, it looks, it looks to be a goal. It was in the fifth minute. Let me get you now. Originally called a goal, but it goes to the VAR. Mueller looks to have handled the ball in the midfield, but referee Taylor plays on Mark Clattenberg on ESPN explained that this is not handling the ball under this new interpretation. Okay. This was a natural and unintentional motion where Thomas Mueller's arm is, is holding up his body weight on the ground and the ball hits him. And it's through the succession of play, then, that the ball finds its way to, to Kimmich, who whips the cross to the far post, and it gets on the foot of, of Gossen, Gossens, and it looked to be 1-0 to Germany. Fortunately, on the VAR, they find Gnabry offside. Okay, Ganabry. Good thing he made a play on this because if he had just stood still and let it go by him, it would have been 1-0 to Germany that much earlier. Portugal evade danger there and evade disaster in my opinion. But this match was so reminiscent for me of that World Cup 2014 match in Bahia in Brazil. So reminiscent with the one notable or two notable exceptions and that is that Portugal got... Two goals of their own this time. And Portugal finished with 11 men and not nine. But Germany knows how to score on Portugal. This was a well-studied opponent. Okay, they were well-scouted. They were well-prepared. Say what you want about Yogi Lowe. He had his team well-prepared for this match. And maybe it's the way he's always played against Portugal. In fact, he's undefeated against Portugal. Four wins. Uh, four matches, official matches, four victories. Okay, four official matches, four victories, for Yogi Lo versus Portugal, going back to two thousand six in that third place match at the World Cup, two thousand six, three to one to Germany in the third place game, two thousand eight, two to one to Germany, might have even been three to one in the group stage of Euro twenty of two thousand, sorry, twenty twelve of Euro two thousand twelve, World Cup. 2014, four 0 to Germany today. Four more goals for Germany, but on this one the bar rules it. Um, but it's Portugal looked dead from the start. I don't know what they did as a warm up routine today. I don't know what they ate this morning. I know it was almost 90 degrees, but it's 90 degrees for both teams. They're the ones that looked like they had lead in their legs, while the German side. Looked fresh, looked eager, looked like they believed in themselves. And they came out to play. They knew their backs were against the wall. I guess I underestimated the fact that Germany's backs were against the wall. I overestimated Portugal's ability to sit deep, absorb pressure, and hit the counter. Clearly. One big reason is because Germany understands how to completely bypass the the, the holding midfield, the double-holding mid. And at that point, this this goal that was called back from VAR should have sent a message to Fernando Santos that he has to make an adjustment. He should have seen that that ball is going to be there all day, that diagonal ball over Nelson Semedo's head to a wide-open wing back in behind him because all day, Nelson Semedo is being pulled on the shift inside to pick up a man on Pep's back, okay? Everybody's beating up Nelson Smith on this one, but and he didn't have a good game, don't get me wrong, but this was a system error because he continued to do it all match because he was told to continue to do it, to continue to shift, that the dangerous guy is central. The problem in this system of play, in this formation, Ronaldo Silva is not the outside midfielder that's going to go up and down the line, picking up the wingback when he, whenever, whenever Nelson Semedo gets pulled inside. In fact, like I said, he spent most of his time both him and Jota in the attacking end, playing close to Cristiano Ronaldo, leaving a absolute freeway, an autobahn, if you will, in reference to Germany, a complete autobahn on. Both flanks for Germany to exploit. They went down their left all day. They went to Gazans. Okay, they they picked on Nelson middle but trust me when I say that the same exact play was open on the left all match. On the right, on our left, on Germany's right. Germany recognized that Portugal have two wing backs. Who are not very good defensively. Or are not naturally defensive backs. Why I said maybe a three-man back line would be better. Well, that's a more natural role for both of those wing backs. But. And you'd have some help on the outside of the defense. To, to step wide and try to block, uh, break that down. But. There were, no cha- there were no adjustments made all match. He just changed personnel. He just changed names on the sheet. It looked like Fernando Santos was just throwing mud on the wall to see what would stick, and I expect a lot more from such an experienced manager. And I am saying this as somebody who has come to his defense many times in the past six years that he's been in charge, okay? I said last night he gets more decisions right than he gets wrong, but today, today he made me look like a fool for saying that because today he got everything wrong in my opinion until the very end. Now, I also have a building, building, mounting annoyance with a lot of my own uh, people, if you will, with Portugal fans that really like to be vocal, but haven't. I don't think they understand anything about international football. I see people come trying to point out that it's as easy as a man marking. Gossens. this is international football. Nobody is playing eleven versus eleven man marking in the entire on the entire pitch. Okay, this is not the brasileiro, and I love the brasileiro, but that this is not how they play in the Euro. You're not playing on your JV high school team here. Okay? It's a little more complex than that. The problem was the shift. And everybody who's played this game at any level knows when you play with a flat back four, okay, the key is that there is shifting from side to side. When you shift... The outside mid has to slide in here. This did not happen once today. And it didn't matter who he put there because guess what? He picked a team that does not have that type of player on the roster. He's got too many of the same types of player because he just picked the 23 or 26 best players. That is upsetting. And then Fernando Santos wants to come to the post game and say that nothing they did surprised them. Oh, really? Why was there not one adjustment made to the one major problem we were having? Danilo's. I'll put. I'll put this up. Okay. First problem was playing with these two holding mids. Okay. Danilo and William, both slow as molasses, that's why they play holding mid, have nobody to either side of them, and now they're responsible for covering touchline to touchline. And again, Germany recognizes that right away, and they just bypass them. They go over them. What were we expecting? We were expecting them to be like Spain and try to connect... 896 passes in the first half and try to make sure everybody on the pitch touches the ball 10 times before we take a shot. Of course not. This is not Spain. This is Germany. Deutschland. They don't mess around. They don't waste movements. They don't waste passes. They don't waste touches. We get lucky, though. We get the break that we're looking for. We absorb the pressure in the first 15 minutes. Okay? And it comes in minute 15 off a Germany corner, no less. And this is why this is what I was hoping for. This is what I said last night. I was predicting the first 15 minutes played out almost to a T as I saw it. With the exception of the fact that Portugal had lead in their feet and couldn't move. I thought they were going to wake up after this because they do well to clear the corner. Germany sends everybody in. Bernardo takes that ball. He takes it about 65, 70 yards, 60 meters, whatever unit of measurement you want to use on his left foot. And at the precise moment that it needed to be delivered, he delivers a perfect ball diagonally on to the chest of Diogo Jota. And up to this point, Diogo Jota was yet to take a proper touch. Every time he had touched the ball to this point, he had lost it. But you know what? When it meant most. In front of goal, he brought it down on his chest. And as the shot was being closed down, he makes a heads-up play. He looks to his right. He sees Ronaldo open. And onside, Diogo Jota slides it. Cristiano Ronaldo puts it in the back of the goal. His 12th career Euro goal, his 107th career international goal. And this should have been the springboard to control the rest of the match. We saw how France controlled Germany in match day one without having the ball. Portugal should have been able to do that. I'm rethinking the fact that perhaps they're not good enough defensively to do that. They, again, and and it's a problem in the midfield. It's not Nelson Semedo or Rafael Guerrero. It is a problem that they're not get is it's an intentional overload that the Germans are sending down the flank, making making these outside backs decide which player is more da- dangerous, and just simply going to the other player, to the one that gets remained open. But Portugal go first. Ronaldo raises, rises the highest head above Cruz's corner. So Ronaldo makes the original win of the ball and this is why he's the best player in the world for me this is what the other guy does not do and cannot do okay the he does not i'm not going to mention names but he does not go and defend a corner win it in the air above everybody else and then sprint 80 yards to the other end to put home the goal no he he stays much higher up the pitch and he stays much more in one area and plays much more with one foot does not have an aerial game and this is why for me still at 36 years old right now the best player in the world cristiano ronaldo not by the by the margin it used to be listen mbappe is closing that gap okay he's closing it he's about to catch him and pass him but right now in this moment in this window. Ronnie's still a little bit ahead. Okay. And this was a complete, again, this is how a captain shows up for big games. I don't want to hear it anymore. How Portugal is supposedly better without him. Okay. Very well could have been down one nil right here. If he's not in the lineup because nobody ever gives this man the credit he deserves for what he does on the defensive end. Oh, you're all watching when he, when he ducks and he's in the wall. Yeah, everybody's watching then. But nobody has anything to say when he's the one in the middle of the box rising higher than anyone else at 36 years old, out-jumping guys 10, 12, 14 years younger than him, and then sprinting down the pitch, not running, sprinting down the pitch to put himself in position to score his 107th goal. And if you want to call him Penaldo, how many penalty kicks have been missed in this tournament? You think it's that easy? You think it's that easy to convert penalty kicks? Let this tournament show you. So it's 1-0 to Portugal, right? Assist for Diogo Jota. And as I said, it's his first good touch of the game. But you know what? I'll take it. You can lose 50 balls. If when you're in front of goal, it ends up in the goal. To me... I don't care if you get the assist or the goal. If that ball goes in and we have one, I don't care who scored it. And I don't care who is. I, I don't care if you scored or assisted. I That is production. No, absolutely not, Leo. Dalo should be sent back to Milan. Dalo is garbage. He should not be in this team. I know he's the only one that's fit because he was at the under-21s, but he was roasted in the under-21s. And for those of you listening on the podcast, you don't know what I'm flipping out about. Uh, there's a comment here saying to get Semedo out. I just explained how it is the midfield. Semedo's making the right play. He's stepping, he is shifting in what like he's supposed to. That ball's going over his head, and Bernardo Silva's nowhere to be found because that's not the type of player he is. He should not be put in that position. This match should have been a traditional four four two with an outside midfielder to cover that wide uh, channel now, Yogo dalo, as far as I'm concerned, send him home. We'll go without him honestly he he can't defend worth a, worth his life i i have no I have no place for him in this team. the under twenty ones he was absolutely roasted by Italy. He was roasted by Spain and roasted in the final by Germany's U21s. What do you think Germany's full first team is going to do? What do you think Gossens is going to do to him on that side? Come on. He's going to get him alive. Um, we're going to move ahead. Doesn't take long though. Uh, Portugal unable to keep this lead. Uh, they get a chance though, to double it here as they go short from the corner in the 23rd Guerrero aims for the far post with his left foot across Diaz. Escapes the attentions of his marker, but can't head it past Neuer. In fact, he can't even get it back to a teammate. Kind of gets in, him and Ronaldo kind of get in each other's way. There seemed to be a lack of communication there. Um, And nobody's trailing either to get on the end of it. Unfortunately, could have been a much different game if that happens. But let's get to the beginning of the meltdown, why don't we? We'll go ahead to the 35th. And again, I talked about this the other night with Fades. When France was playing Germany. Okay. I talked about it. Hernandez gets on that goal. Hernandez gets in behind. Pogba hits a ball on an absolute rope. Okay. The key with those in Germany did this all day today, and Portugal never adjusted. They never adjusted the midfield to prevent this. What happens? You force your back line to turn because the ball's going over their head. Suddenly, your defenders are all facing their goal. And just like Hernandez did to Germany, blasts it across the face of goal. Max Hummels can't deal with it because he just doesn't have time to put his body in position. And on that night, Max Hummels puts it into his own goal today. Ruben Bias's turn. Uh, brilliant play here by, by Gosens. His volley is struck perfectly. When that ball is coming in, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not looking for a teammate. He knows they're running. He doesn't even care if he finds his teammate. He's trying to hit anything in front of goal. And he's trying so that it gets redirected at goal again. You know the defenders have had to turn, face their own goal, and they're running towards their own goal to get in, in position. What happens when that when you can't get out of the way of the ball and you are running towards your own goal? Guess where it's going once it hits you? That's what happens here. Diaz puts it on his own in his own goal. But you know what? If he doesn't do that, it's a tap in for Ganabry. So I'm not it's an own goal, but it's not an own goal because if the defender is not there to do that it's a tap in and it's an easy goal for germany so um credit to germany here credit to germany very good goal and a uh, oh, great build of skill to just to just sidewind and volley that ball hard i mean he struck it perfectly uh, Gossens did 1 to 1 and i'm thinking okay we're going to have to hold this till halftime okay 1-1 is okay I didn't expect to keep the clean sheet against Germany. 1-1 is okay, but it lasted all of four minutes. As Rudiger rolls through to Gazans, Again, this VAR, he looks offside to me. I know they slowed it down. What I don't know is if that's the exact moment the ball left Rudiger's foot. They're not good at distinguishing that. This is where we need an improvement in VAR. I'm not saying this isn't a goal. I'm not saying this is an excuse. What I'm saying is I this is where the VAR technology needs to improve. We need to do better. We need to have a better system in place to identify the precise moment that the ball leaves the passer's foot. Because once there's space between the passer's foot and the ball, guess what? It's already out. It doesn't matter. It's got to come back a couple, a frame or two or a frame and a half or two to the exact moment it leaves, it has the contact, you know, is broken. We put all the time and focus. Nico Cantor said this on CBS. We take, and not today. He said this back during the Champions League. We put all this focus on where the runner is at the precise moment, right? We make a line we calibrate a line in portugal in their league it, they even tell you the amount of centimeters that player is on or off i don't trust anything in the portuguese league as accurate but i do trust this here in this in this tournament so if if the uefa's technology says he's on i'm buying it what i'm confused what i'm not so convinced about is did they stop it at the precise moment that that ball has a broken contact or lost contact with Antonio Rudiger's foot. This is something that needs to be looked at. Is it even possible to get that that precise of a reading? I don't know. Um, but two to one to Germany. Okay, he slides it across. It's a good ball. Um Kimmich is at the far post. He 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 puts it back across goal, selfishly opts to square it. No, he didn't selfishly opt. It was the only option he had. Fatma was saying selfishly. He had no angle to shoot. He had to put it back across goal. And once again, what I just said, this ball has the defenders turning, facing their own goal, and running at pace towards their own goal. It's Almost impossible to get out of a way of, of a ball drilled at you from that close distance when you're running towards your own goal. It can only go in one place. It goes in. This is an earned own goal, just like the other one. Two to one. All right. Two to one to Germany. And we go to halftime. Now, I'm expecting a substitution to address this problem of the overload. France, uh, Germany is overloading the flanks. Fernando Santos brings on Renato Sanchez. That I'm fine with. What he should have done, if that's the player that's coming in, he should have replaced one of the two holding midfielders, preferably William, because William is not fit, okay? He has played very little this year, and he's he's slow to begin with, and they're just bypassing him anyway. Why are we still holding with two holding midfielders when Germany has figured out how to quickly just skip over them? It should have been Renato coming in, making a diamond. Instead, Renato replaces Bernardo Silva, who gets three fourths of that first goal, who does the hard work of carrying the ball. Well, I have to give Ronaldo three fourths. Okay, so the two of them, you know, get a big portion of that goal because Ronaldo wins it in the area. Bernardo runs the length of the pitch with it. And then plays the precise ball into Jota, but again, not this. This is the second game in a row that I think Santos has made a mistake in taking out Bernardo Silva, rather than adjusting his role. I've been I'm I'm getting blue in the face with this. These coaches need to start thinking and stop just thinking that the substitution is the only answer. He's just not put in a place to succeed playing in this system wide on the right. Against a team where we need to defend a lot more than we need to attack. We want to let's 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 think about this for a second. He sent the team out to play defensively first. Okay, from the first minute they went out to defend and to play safe, which backfired because they didn't do that because Germany was able to quickly just turn them around and turn the game on its head. But he's got no fewer than six attack-minded players on the pitch. How are you going to hold it in? How are you going to hold it in with and close down lines and sit in deep When you have All these attacking players This was just not Well planned Okay, He could have played this way With a couple of minor adjustments He didn't do that Well Renato comes in And he's going to get blamed for the third goal here Which comes pretty early 51st minute Again, Semedo gets pulled inside. He did what he's supposed to do. In this system, that's what he's supposed to do. If you don't like it, it's it's a system issue. It's not a it's not a Semedo issue. Now, I'm not saying he played perfectly, but when it came to the shift, he shifted as he should. There's Renato is not an outside midfielder. He's very much a central midfielder. And he was confused and he didn't pick up the outside back. And what also happened is because Portugal couldn't come out today. They gave Germany no reason to believe that their outside backs can't come up at will all day because there was nothing in behind them to defend. The ball goes to Gossens again, powers forward. He drives a low cross across the face of goal. And of course, it's Kai Havertz who gets the positioning. And touches it past Rui Patricio, 3-1 to to Germany. Another assist for Gossens. That's two assists. Uh, He speeds down the left-hand side again to latch on to Mueller's pass. The left wing back slams a low cross. I love his crosses because they're low and hard. They're not looping to the far post so that you have to jump, wait in the air for three seconds, and then you're heading it on the way down on your descent. No. It was a nice, hard-driven pass and then another substitution in the 58th minute Rafa comes on replaces William too late for me it's 3 to 1 already um and this is a little bit of of Santos just doing the same thing he did against Hungary this match called for something different they needed some control in midfield they didn't get it and guess what 60th minute this time it's Kimmich down the right he he uh He gets his pass from from Havertz with acres of space in front of him. He's coming down Rafael Guerrero's side this time. Uh, Head up down the right channel. He does so as he looks and crosses to the far post. And there's Dawson's again arriving late at the far post to power a header into the top left. And Semedo gestures that someone else should have been picking up the left wing back. Yes, that's correct. Okay, that is 100% correct. Again, now this is going to get me some flack from some of you because you disagree. That's fine. But I'm telling you in this system, he did it all game because that's what he's supposed to do. If you don't like the system, that's one thing. To say that he's not, to say that he's, 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 you know, making the wrong decision. No, he is playing the system that, that he's been placed in. Gossens gets a goal so he is he is easily the man of the match today. Joshua Kimmich with a nice assist. Now, Marcel Hastelberg comes on for Gossens in the 62nd. That's it. Emre Chan comes on for Mats Hummels. And João Moutinho comes on for Bruno Fernandes. And for all the Portugal fans shaking their head, João Moutinho um added something to this team. He is the only one that goes in there and that completes passes efficiently. He makes the safer passes. He makes he plays simple, exactly what Portugal needed. I have no problem with João Moutinho in this team. I would have preferred Ruben Neves comes in in this situation, but I have no issue with what João Moutinho did in this match. Okay, I, I've said it before. I like him much better now than I did eight years ago. I think he brings much more to the table as an older player with better vision and more simplicity. Okay? Don't tell me about his age. Watch what he does. Watch the passes he picks out. Watch the spaces he covers. Portugal start to get some control here. When João Moutinho come on, Renato Sanchez has a chance. And then in the 67th, it is uh, Portugal pull one back after Ronaldo is fouled. The free kick is, is played by Moutinho to the far post. Ronaldo doesn't give up on it. Okay, this is talking about converting a half a chance. Ronaldo does not give up on this one. He he gets to it just before it goes over the byline and manages to pop it back over Neuer towards the goal. And Diogo Jato, who did not ha- who has not had to has not had good play in these two matches, however, has been productive. I'll take it. He gets on the end of it and he puts it into the net. It's four to two. This goal could be the difference. On Wednesday because Portugal go from a a zero goal difference to a plus one here, which may make all the difference in the world on Wednesday. A few minutes later, Renato Sanchez hits the post with an absolute rocket. Okay. Had he made it for three, who knows? But Portugal in the end, I get, I get very frustrated because they, uh, And I think the Motinho substitution in part was to stop the bleeding and to control some of the game. I do think Santos made this substitution not to get back into this game, but to keep it and to keep an even or positive goal difference. Goal difference is playing into the minds of these coaches. There's no question about it. Portugal pulled one back, okay, and they're not really pressing closing moments they're in no hurry to go forward it looks like they're gonna be happy to only lose by two I sort of get it it's tough for a fan to see that but I get it they were they could have easily lost by four or five today and been in a much worse situation so they're gonna they're gonna take their wounds and they're gonna go home with what they got match ends four two to Germany uh well done to Germany I'm not gonna. uh, I'm gonna say I said that they were dangerous and that I respect them, and this is why I look at that. They even went down, and they're not phased. They were facing elimination, and they were not phased. Okay, I'm gonna take a quick, quick break here. Okay, and um, be right back to touch on Spain versus Poland. Okay, before we call it another night, and we will also take a quick look at what's going on tomorrow. I know we've been going for an hour. Um, I'll be right back to to wrap this up, okay? One match to talk about and a little bit about tomorrow. And then um, for those of you on the podcast, you'll get a bonus segment covering Copa America uh, match day two that went down uh, Thursday and Friday. All right, this is the Parking Bus Podcast here on the PTB me- Media Network. Don't forget to follow the show on the social media at PTB underscore media. That's on Twitter and on Instagram. There's also a Facebook group if you sh- if you search for it, Parking the Bus. And don't forget to go over to the website, www.parkingthebusmedia.com. If you have missed any episodes, right in the front, the first thing you will see when you scroll down is the playlist. Okay, so you can just scroll through the all nine episodes right there. Okay, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. Welcome back to Parking the Bus episode 50. Okay, let's move on now. Let's go to the final match of the day. And we are in Seville in Spain in Savicha. Spain versus Poland. And it is a group. It is a group E matchup. Okay. We already know that that Sweden lead the group. And let's look at the lineups. So we'll start with Poland managed by Paulo Sosa, of course. Uh Skezny is is in goal three, four to one their formation. Uh, Berenzinski on the right, Glick in the center with Jan Betternak on the left. The wingbacks are Camille Jasiwak and uh, Timo Pukac. Mateusz Kleech and Jakub Moder are the center midfielders with Karol Swiderski and Peter in attack. in the attacking midfield roles behind the captain, Robert Lewandowski for Espana. How'd you like that that Spanish pronunciation there? Just like they do in Spain. Espana. They have uh, they've got Unai, Simon, in goal. Uh, they're playing 4-3-3. Marcos Chorente is the right back. Laporte and Pau Torres in the center. Jordi Alba, the left back and the captain. Three in midfield. It's Rodri in the center. Coque to his right. Pedri to his left. And an attack. It is Alvaro Morata in the center, Gerard Moreno to his left, Daniel Olmo to his right. I'm pretty sure there is no change in this team either from uh, match day one against against Sweden. Now, we got, um, again, we're going to expect Spain to have the ball, right? Um. I debated whether or not to take a nap during this one because one because it was very possible we were gonna and I'm joking, but it was it was debatable whether or not we were gonna get another match where we just get an insane amount of complete passes. Lateral, sideways, backwards, slow prodding. Now, well, only 76% possession for Spain today. Okay, only 76%. They do manage to force 12 shots today. Um Eight chances created, five of them big chances. Only 623 passes uh, completed to Poland's 128. Which team do you... I, I would like to hear from listeners. Which team would you rather be in this match, this exact match? Would you rather be Poland here and go home 1-1, having been much more efficient, or would you rather be Spain and holding your head high about how much possession you have? Choice is completely yours. There's no right or wrong answer. You know, you guys know how I feel about it and wh- who I'd rather be. And, it, you know, Spain playing at home, of course, a lot of pressure on Luis Enrique. I'm not sure he's up for the job, to be honest with you. I'm not sure Luis Enrique is up for this job. Um, just not the... Again, I just spent, I don't know, 45 minutes, 35 minutes or whatever, you know, pounding Fernando Santos for his lack of awareness and lack of uh, of ability to read the match. Luis Enrique believes that this team played well against Sweden. The Spanish media thinks that their team played well. They believe, you know, Guillem Balague is is a reporter I respect and whose opinion I hold high. And he thinks they're playing well enough to go to the semifinal and that the goals are just going to start to come. Well, Enrique makes one change. So I'm corrected. He makes only one change to his side from La Roja's draw against Sweden. Gerard comes into the starting lineup. That's right. um, In the final third to replace Fernand Torres who drops to the bench. The Spain boss keeps his faith in Morata through the middle of the attack, along with Olmo on the left flank. Pedri retains his spot ahead of Thiago. Poland made three changes to their side from their defeat to Slovakia. Kuchowiak serves his suspension while Rivas uh, and the goal scorer in their loss, Linetti make way in the lineup for Mortar Pukas and Swiderski. And it this is the first meeting between Spain and Poland at a major tournament. Spain had won eight of their ten matches against Poland, with the other two being a loss and a draw. Uh, the sole Polish victory taking place over 40 years ago in Barcelona in a friendly. So pass, 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 pass. Okay, after about all those minutes of passes, Spain does get on the board in the twenty-fifth minute, and it is Alvaro Morata. And he must have felt relieved. He must have felt like absolutely shushing his own fans, his own critics. The offside originally called offside by the referee, but it is overturned. Morata scores 1-0 to Spain. He gets his side off the mark in the tournament with a close-range finish. Gerard is the architect as he cuts inside from the right flank, fires a low ball towards the six-yard box. Morata breaks in behind Berezinski and slots the strike past Chesney from close range. Very good assist for Gerard Moreno. And Spain, however, miss out on a chance to double their lead. And Swiderski has a chance here in the 35th, and he has to score. Lewandowski causes problems down the right flank, but cannot find room for a strike. Instead, he lifts across to the near post for Swiderski to attack. The winger goes in with his boot rather than his head and steers his effort over the bar. Mateusz Klitsch sees a yellow card in the 36th for a late challenge on Pedri. 43rd minute, Poland come inches away from an equalizer. Joswiak robs Alba of possession, and the ball finds Swiderski. He beats the challenge of Torres and curls a strike towards goal that rattles the left post. Lewandowski pounces on the rebound and hammers the effort towards the net, only to be denied by a great block from Unai Simon. And before the half ends, Gerard Sp- Burns a glorious opening before the break. Alba sends a dangerous cross towards the near post where Gerard steers a left-footed strike towards goal, but he can only place his attempt wide of the target second half. And it's a Spain lead Poland 1-0 at the, at the break in their group. e clash. Alvaro Morata put La Roja ahead in the 25th minute, steering Gerard Moreno's delivery back into the net. The goal was initially disallowed far as we, for uh, offside, as we said, only to be overturned by VAR. Poland could have responded before the break, but Karol Swiderski struck the post before Robert Lewandowski was denied on the rebound. Spain could have doubled their advantage right before the break, but Gerard Moreno fired wide from close range. Luis Enrique will be satisfied with their performance, although he recognizes the threat of Poland, especially with Lewandowski lurking in the final third. Remember the name, Robert Lewandowski. And it doesn't take long, my friends. 54th minute, 10 minutes, and just under 10 minutes into the half. And it is Lewandowski rising higher than three Spain defenders. And he comes to their rescue with a powerful header to the bottom left corner. Uh, and the press from Souza's men works, and they win the ball in the middle of the park. Joswiak takes possession down the right flank, delivers a precise cross into the middle. Lewandowski outduels Laporte and company, and he nods his effort past Unai Simone. One-to-one. Great assist for Joswiak. Joswiak, Jaswi- yep. Uh He collects it on the right flank and delivers a sublime cross. Couple substitutions here is um it's a 55th minute actually one substitution. Kozlowski enters to replace Flitch, becoming the youngest player ever to appear at a Euros. And that is because he is 17 years old, not 18, until October the 16th. And two minutes later, we have a VAR check, Or at that, yeah, two minutes later, we have a VAR check. And this is demoralizing for me, thinking that they're going to give this vo- the, this penalty and Spain are going to go back ahead. And the VAR spots that Gerard is caught late by Modor. As he clips the cross into the box, the referee is instructed to look at the monitor at the side of the pitch. And after reviewing the incident, the referee rewards or awards the spot kick. Yellow card to Jakob Modor. For his challenge, Gerard Moreno steps up, actually takes a good penalty. This is well, well done. It's just pushed a little too far wide and it slams off of the post. He comes right to Alvaro Morata with the goal wide open, but the Juventus man can't hit the frame. He redirects it high and wide. It remains 1-1, demoralizing for Spain at that point. Luis Enrique goes to the bench. On comes Fernando Torres. Off goes a Daniel Olmo. Um, and it's Ko- Kozlowski's exact age is 17 days, 240, 17 years, excuse me, 246 days, becoming the youngest player ever to play at the European Championships, overtaking Jude Bellingham, who set the record six days ago. Poor Jude Bellingham. Um, you guys know how much I like that player because I, I got into I said that yesterday. Okay, so Morata makes a good run in the 65th into the right inside channel to latch onto Herard's Gerard's pass. He strikes the effort past the face of goal, but Chesney has to turn left and push it past the post. Spain have issued a strong reaction since Poland's equalizer despite the penalty miss, and it's all about composure right now from both teams. Substitution for Paulo Souza, on comes Frankowski, off goes Swiderski. And Spain also with the pair of substitutions off comes Gerard Moreno on comes Fabian as well as Pablo Sarabia comes on to replace Coke. Spain know they need the win. Fernando Torres has an easy, uh, has a free header in the 73rd. He latches onto Jorente's cross, but can only steer his attempt wide of the target. And this is not Spain's strength. Okay. The way they play, If they have the lead, they're going to be very hard to to come back against. It's a big, big compliment to Poland that they got back in this match and that they managed to equalize once going down. Because when a team like Spain, who focuses so heavily on that possession, that becomes a weapon when you have the lead. Because all of a sudden, it becomes so hard to get the ball back. But now with it. 1-1. 1-1. It's a lot harder for Spain to find that second goal. Pau Torres will go in the book in the 81st. He catches Lewandowski with the stray arm. Um, Spain denied again by Chesney in the 83rd. Alba flicks a ball into the box and Sarabia cushions it pa- into the path of Morata. But the keeper spreads himself and denies the Juventus forward. And Fernand Torres will pounce on the rebound, but the Manchester City forward will clip his effort over the bar. On comes Pavel Davidovitz. Uh, He will replace Jan Bedernak, And of course, Davidovitz, as you may or may not know, is the former Benfica defender, Benfica B defender, interestingly enough. Once again, a player who comes through my club who can't get into the first team. And just like Brian Cristante is now playing in the World Cup in the European Championships just a few years later. Carol Lonetti also comes on. He replaces Jakub Motor, who's on a yellow card. Mikel Oyarzabal replaces Alvaro Morata for Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique only sub- makes like-for-like substitutions. It's a real weakness in his game, besides the fact that he's overly reliant on a system of play that's not as effective as it used to be, a system of play that teams have figured out how to play against, and most importantly, a system of play that is lacking... One real key component, which is a finisher. A finisher that scores with great efficiency. A a finisher that scores with great efficiency. Because if you don't get goals, you don't win. You can have the ball for hours if you want. Again, Poland doing a fine job taking the sting out of the game. They're closing in on a vital result here. As the Poles will leave their last 16 hopes alive. Lewandowski goes in the book. After catching Laporte with an outstretched leg. Late 90th plus three. Ruiz sends a ball uh, to the left flank for Alba in the 90th plus four. Who steers across into the box. Linetti's the first man there. And he clears danger. Rodri trips Kozolowski. Goes in the book in 90 plus four. 90 plus five. The whistle blows. And that is full time. Spain and Poland play out to a 1-1 draw in their group E contest, Lewandowski cancelled out Morata's first half strike, and it keeps Paulo Sousa's men alive in the competition heading into the final match a day. La Roja are held for the second game in a row and still have work ahead of them to ensure they can qualify for a place in the last 16. Spain face a tough test against Slovakia in the final group A. Uh, Group E, excuse me, game in Seville on Wednesday, Poland take on Sweden and St. Petersburg at the same day, same time, and they will battle for a place in the knockout stages. All right. That is today's matches. The tables. Okay. Well, I should have said this when we finished the group F matches, but, uh, the table in group F. You probably see it there on the bottom. It's scrolled through through the the duration of this episode. But for those of you on the podcast that don't have the video element, France, top of the group on four points, plus one goal difference. Uh, France, Germany, and, and Portugal all on a plus one goal difference. Uh, Germany second right now with three points, obviously leading the head-to-head over Portugal after having beaten them today portugal third on three points with one point hungary fourth one point but but uh the worst for them is that they have a negative three goal difference okay group e looks like this okay and it just went by your screen for those of you watching but i'll read it again like i said for those who are listening to the podcast uh sweden tops the group with four points slovakia are second with 3. Spain have 2 and Poland to have 1. All right, tomorrow's matches, to only two matches tomorrow. They're both at noon here on the east coast of the United States. Uh it's Italy versus Wales in Rome and Switzerland versus Turkey in Baku. Okay, both games kicking off at noon here on the east coast of the United States, 9 Pacific. Um Italy and Wales, I, I'm interested to see if um, if Roberto Mancini is going to continue to play with the same players or if he's going to have some squad rotation. Um, I believe, you know, I don't expect to see Chiellini. He, he came off injured last match. Uh, let's see if they have a diagnosis for him. I don't believe we have a full diagnosis, but we have... Francesco Acerbi is expected to start, and let's see here. Chiellini has a hamstring injury. He's doubtful. Alessandro Florenzi has a calf injury. He's doubtful. Um, any, I imagine anybody for Italy on a yellow card is not going to be risked tomorrow. Um, Wales have it all to play for, obviously. Wales have four points. Another point, and, and they're going to be sitting golden right now. As it stands, they are second on four points. So, yeah, one one point will actually guarantee them second place. They're pretty much a lock to advance right now. Um, they got four points with a minus, oh, sorry, with a plus two goal difference. So, from a Portugal standpoint, I'm, I'm hoping that they lose two nil or more so that that goal difference drops to zero or below so that Portugal can um, then be ahead of them. If Wales were to drop to third place, uh, that would only happen, of course, if Switzerland or Turkey produces a winner. Okay. If, if Switzerland wins by more goals, Switzerland have a negative three goal difference. So they have to win by more goals essentially than, uh, Wales lose by if they want to take second place. But I like that Switzerland right now have one point and that they have a minus three goal difference. So I'm I'm pulling for a draw in Switzerland, Turkey, so that nobody so neither one of them get to four points or even to three points. That's what I'm hoping for. If somebody wins, I hope it's Turkey because they have a far inferior goal difference. Um, I'm going to go with Italy to win and I'm going to go with with a draw in the Switzerland Turkey match. Those are my predictions. Maybe just because it's, it's just what I want to see. Um, That's going to do it for this episode. For those of you watching the live stream, thank you for joining me again as you have every night on Periscope, on YouTube, on Facebook, okay? Periscope through Twitter, of course. Don't forget, follow PTB underscore media. Go to the YouTube page. Hit subscribe for me, please. I need the subscribers. Hit the bell. We've had great numbers on Periscope, but I need to get some of that traffic over to YouTube, okay? Um, And of course, hit up www.parkingthebusmedia.com. That's going to do it. This is the Mr. Michael Gustinio. Thank you for hanging with me all night tonight, this Saturday night. And I'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Okay. With a roundup of tomorrow's two matches and a look ahead to Monday. All right. That's going to do it. If you're listening to the podcast, enjoy the Copa America coverage coming your way right after this break. Have a good night, everybody. And I'll see you next time. Welcome back to this exclusive segment. Now, this is not available on the video. This is only for the podcast here on episode 50 of Parking the Bus. And this is a Copa America segment. Time to catch up on what's gone down on match day two of Copa America 2021. We start in the Grupo Norte. um, And we start on Thursday, January the 17th. Colombia taking on Venezuela. And we are at the Estadio Olimpico Pedro Ludovico Teixeira in Goiânia. And the Paraguayan Eber Aquino is the referee. Let's look at the lineup starting with Venezuela. And their Portuguese manager Jose Peseiro. Remember Venezuela had 12 players called in at the last minute to replace Fifteen players who tested positive for COVID uh, nineteen, right on the verge of the tournament. They had a tough, tough opening match day against Brazil, but they would fare a bit better here against their neighbors, Colombia. Now, in goal for the Vino Tinto uh, is Wulker Farines is the goalkeeper. Uh, five across the back for Pizeto. He's got. Wide on the right, the wingback is Alexander González. To the right center back is Francisco La Mantilla. The central defender is Luis Martinez. The left center back is Luis Del Pino. And Johan Cumana is the left wingback. Four in midfield, the two in the center is Bernardo Manzano and Junior Moreno. With Jose Martinez to his right, and Christian Caceres Jr. to his left. And then the striker is Fernando Aristigueta up front. He's also the captain. For Colombia, and their manager, Reynaldo Hueda, in goal is David Ospina. Obviously, David Ospina, longtime Colombia keeper. His four in the back in a traditional 4 Daniel Munoz, Jeremina Davidson, Sanchez, and William Tecillo are the four in the back. With the four in midfield, in the middle it is FC Porto's Mateus Uribe partnering with Wilmar Barrios. The left back is Edwin Cardona, and the sorry, the left midfielder is Edwin Cardona. And Juventus's Juan Cuadrado down the right. Up front you have you have Duvan Zapata of atalanta uh, yes of atalanta partnering with luis muriel of atalanta as well so the atalanta pairing up top for colombia now this match went nil nil which was a phenomenal re- result for el Bino tinto as uh, they pick up their first points in the competition in a competition where just about everyone has them Picked to be eliminated after this group stage. Only two teams will be eliminated from the group stage, remember. One in each group. And just about everybody has Venezuela picked for that role. Given the reality that is within their team right now. And that they are almost an entirely second choice team. Um, Possession in this match went 65-35 in favor of Colombia. Total shots 23-2 for Colombia. 19 chances created for Colombia, 1 for Venezuela, but big chances, only 3 to, three to none. And Colombia uh, unable to, to convert any of those big chances into goals. 502 accurate passes for Colombia, 219 for Venezuela. Colombia connected at it an 89% efficiency, while Venezuela 73%. Fouls were pretty much even, 14 to 13, slight edge to Venezuela. Um again the total shots 23 to 2 in favor of Colombia. Uh 502 passes for Colombia completed 194 of them in their own half. 308 in Venezuela's half as the duels came out also in favor of Colombia 59 to 45%. Let's go over some of the key moments in the match as uh, again Elvino Tinto very very happy to come away with the point here. As uh, their goalkeeper, Williker Fer- Ferines, was the man of the match according to Fought Mob with a 9.1 rating. Fernando Aristigueta and Francisco Lamantia ended up in the referee's book with yellow cards for Venezuela. In the 59th minute, we saw uh, Jangel Herrera replace Bernardo Manzano. In the sixty second minute, uh, Colombia opted for a triple substitution in came Jamilington Capaz, Luis Diaz, also a football club do Porto, and Miguel Borja replacing Luis Muriel, Edwin Cardona, and Duban Zapata. Juan Cordado saw a yellow card in the seventy seventh, and then Venezuela picked up a couple of yellow cards. Uh Jan- Jangel Herrera in the 77th Jose Martinez in the 81st Matios Uribe for Colombia picked up a yellow in the 82nd And then we saw four we saw three substitutions for Elvino Tinto In came Sergio Cordova Edson Castillo and Ronald Hernandez in place of Fernando Aristiguita, Christian Caceres Jr. and Alexander Gonzalez Luis Diaz sent off in the 90th plus four for Colombia that could come into play later in the next match but at the end of the day a nil-nil a share of the spoils to each team later that night still in the Grupo Norte you have Brazil taking on Peru this match took place at the Ingenio as you know is the former um Rio de Janeiro Olympic Stadium, officially known as the Estadio Nilton Santos. The referee was from Argentina. His name was Patricio Lostau. And here are the lineups for these teams, starting with Peru. And Peru, of course, managed by Ricardo Gareca, and his goalkeeper is Pedro Gallese. He had uh, he is the ca- had the captain's armband as well for Peru in this one. Uh, four across the back in a four-two-three-one. Aldo Corzo, the right back, Christian Ramos and Luis Abram, the two central defenders with Marcos Lopez as the left back. Double pivot in midfield, partnering Renato Tapia with Josimar Jotun. Three attacking midfielders in front of them with Christian Cueva on the left, Sergio Pena in the in the center, and Andre Carijo is the right uh, attacking midfielder playing behind the striker Gianluca Lapadula. For Brazil, managed by Teach, of course, playing a traditional four-four-two for them. Ederson gets the nod in goal for this one. Ederson Moraes, of course, of Manchester City. Uh, the right back, Danilo, centre back. Edder Militão, partnered with Thiago Silva. And Juventus's Alexandru is the left back. Four in midfield, Fred of Manchester United, teams with Fabinho. Fabinho, of course, plays his club football for Liverpool. As we have an all-Premier League midfield. Everton Cebolinha of Benfica gets the start on the left side of midfield with Gabriel Zizouj playing as a right-sided midfielder. And then the strike tandem. This is a little bit of a a different tandem, but it is Negma starting with um, his strike partner for the night from Flamengo, Gabriel Barbosa, better known to you and I and to the fans of this show who follow the Brasileirão as Gabigol. So that is Brazil's team. Let's take a look here and see how this match would play out as it would be um, Brazil is coming off the heels of a 3-0 victory over Venezuela in, in match day one which extended the Seleção Canarinas' winning run to eight matches in all competitions with a clean sheet in each of their last five matches. Neymar's uh, involvement in the side cannot be understated. With the captain involved with two of his side's three goals last Sunday, scoring once from the penalty spot and um, then assisting in Gabi um Gabigol's tally for the third goal. It won't be an easy evening for Peru. We can't expect it to be. Who are playing their first match in Copa America? As the odd number of groups mean one team sits out each match day, one of the peculiarities of this year's edition of the Copa America. Uh, Ricardo Gareca's team come into the fixture on the back of a poor run of form losing four of their last five though they did manage a 2-1 victory over Ecuador in their last time out the last time Brazil and Peru squared off a Neymar hat-trick condemned La La Blanca Roja to a 4-2 defeat in what was a thrilling match for any neutral and now we, we move into Brazil make six changes from their convincing 3-0 victory over, over Venezuela on Sunday. Teach looks for to freshen things up for match day two. A swap and goal, as I said, puts Manchester City's Ederson in place of of Liverpool's Alisson while Thiago Silva and Alexandro replace Marquinhos and Hernan Lodi in defense. Casemiro and Paqueta are replaced by Casemiro and Everton in midfield. And that's that's a typo. It is not Casemiro. It is Gabriel Jesus who uh, gets the start in midfield as opposed to in the attack. And we move on now as Brazil come out and as you can imagine Brazil are looking to put this match away early as they look to continue their dominance in this competition they look the most uh, prepared the most mentally um ready team in this competition they look m- more like anybody more than anybody else like a team that that wants to uh Lift this trophy. Of course, they almost went on strike before the first match. Uh, due to this tournament is not very popular. Let's be honest. Even in South America, even in Brazil, this tournament is not very popular. Um, the stadiums are empty, and they're playing on the back heels of the Euro, which I think is hurting their image quite a bit because the Euros is being played earlier in the day. If you live on this side of the world, you know you get the euros during the day like we say in the Copa America at night. There's a burnout factor even for South American fans, I think. Um again, seeing football with no fans, seeing matches played later at night, every night it starts to wear there is a there is a certain level of burnout that comes to the viewer and even most of my South American friends are really not that into this tournament this year as it, it just seems like a moot point and it seems like it's sh- most fans would have supported it being canceled of course the Copa America and also has a history of not always playing on a on a routine schedule or on a regular schedule they seem to pop up here and there we had remember a they used to play every 2 years on the odd years after and before world cups kind of like the gold cup does now in in uh, CONCACAF and then sometimes they would play 3 years apart and then they they in 2015 uh they announced that 2016 would be the Copa America Centenario so they would play a Copa America in 2015 another in 2016 the next one would come in 2019 and then uh Last year, 2020, was supposed to be another Copa America year, which would put the competition on par and on schedule with the Euros and be played in that Olympic year in between World Cups. But then COVID-19 happened, so it was moved to this year. But they rebranded the tournament, whereas UEFA kept the Euro as Euro 2020. Comnebol decided that they were going to call it Copa America 2021. And that's where we stand right now. But the next one is scheduled for 2024. And going on forward from that, the plan is that it will be every four years. Now, I've said before, and my intention is to write a piece on this. And I think that Copa America, this one was different. They have I don't like the idea of outside of outside uh invitees from outside the americas i don't want to see japan i don't want to see australia i don't want to see qatar play in Copa america okay i want to see teams from the americas now as we can see this in this edition a 10-team tournament doesn't make for a very good tournament you have two groups of five and there's a lot of games to just eliminate two teams what they should have done this year they didn't do this because it would have been a huge loss of money and it would have been a lot fewer matches to put on television and this is all about television and being able to sell rights okay what Copa America should have done this year from a football standpoint not necessarily from a business standpoint was they should have taken the bottom four teams okay and they could use World Cup, current World Cup qualifying as the, the, the precursor. Uh, they could have used the last Copa America standings. They could have used uh, the last World Cup qualifying. They could use the FIFA rankings. Whatever they want to rank the teams from 1 to 10. Okay? What you do is you play a play-in round. Team 7 plays against Team 10. Team 8 plays against Team 9. The two winners advance to an 8-team tournament. And what you do is you do this Copa America the way UEFA did the Champions League a year ago. You play the quarterfinals on Sunday and Saturday of a week. And then Wednesday and Thursday, the semifinals. And the following Sunday, a final. You do it all in one week. Single elimination. If, If a team comes and plays one match, they come and they play one match. They get out of there, and it's done. That's what I would have wanted. That's what I think should have been done. I understand why it wasn't. Um, there are TV partners and media partners that want more matches than that. But I think that's what, from a competitive and from a sporting standpoint, would have given them a better tournament. Now, Peru are looking to put pressure on the hosts. We're in the third minute, launching it long to André uh, But a lack of space in the Brazil Defense Forces play all the way back to Gallegos. To GC and the Peru goal. Neymar drops deep into midfield, wins a free kick for Yotun, but he was too eager in his pressing near the center circle. Brazil Don't take long. The 12th minute, they get on the score sheet, and it is Alexandro. Okay, Brazil take the lead. Everton, Cebolinha's initial cross is rebuffed, but not cleared sufficiently by Peru's defense. Gabriel Jesus is allowed to latch on to it at the far post. The Manchester City winger centers the ball unselfishly and finds Alexandro, who smashes the volley high into the netting. 1-0 to the Canarinha. 1-0 to Brazil. And it's a beautiful assist for Gabriel Jesus. Keep moving along here in the first half. A yellow card in the 23rd goes to Cristiano Ramos of Peru. And it's more Brazil. This time Fabinho. Um, It's Neymar's corner looking for Gabriel Jesus. Headed away by Peru. But only to the edge of the penalty area. And the, the Liverpool midfielder Fabinho has a second to set himself. Strikes a dangerous effort for the far post and misses just narrowly. And that will take us into the 44th minute where Josimar Jotun would see a yellow card for after diving at a, at a lunging challenge on Gabriel Jesus. Just outside Brazil's penalty area in order to stop a counter-attack. 1-0 at halftime. To Brazil, a comfortable, if not convincing, Brazil take a 1-0 lead into halftime. Alexandro's 12-minute strike is all that separates the two sides. Both goalkeepers have been relatively uninvolved as Brazil's only shot on target was the goal. While the visitors have been held to the long-distance strike, Peru have failed to turn defense into attack effectively down either flank, leaving Brazil um, leaving Brazil. In a position of relative comfort. Peru will be forced to come forward and attack in the second half as a 1 0 defeat does them no good in their quest to qualify from this group. Uh, We got a substitution of Everton's in the 46 at halftime. Everton Hiberu of Flamengo replaces Everton Sibolinia of of Benfica. And also we get Richarlson of Everton replacing Gabi Gol of Flamengo. So the two, uh, you. So the two Flamengo players are involved here in the two substitutions. One comes on, one comes off. We keep moving in. Brazil in complete control. There's no question they come close to doubling their lead in the 52nd. Gabriel Jesus once again forward squares the pass for Daniel who opts for a strike at goal from just outside the area. But it misses just wide. Gabriel Jesus sees a yellow card in the 59th as he goes through the back of cueva and sends him right into the ground in front of the referee a penalty is a, is awarded to brazil in the 60 for, in the 62nd minute um, as neymar gets into the penalty area stutters to draw contact from tapia before the two intertwined legs, sending the Brazil captain to the ground after initially giving a spot kick. The referee's lengthy discussion with the video assistant referee changes that decision. There was not a sufficient force to send Neymar down. I don't know about the fourth. When I saw this, it looked to me like Neymar initiated the contact. He feels he knows he's in the area. I think he felt the ball get away from him. And he literally kicked his leg back until he could find the leg of of Tapia and create the contact to then go down. The referee fell for it at first but then after seeing the video he reversed his decision. Double substitution for Peru in the 67th minute. On comes Luis Iberico and Alex Balera. They replace Sergio Pena and Gianluca Lapadula and in the 68th it's finally Neymar who doubles Brazil's advantage? A great goal from the captain, who receives a pass from tw- from Fred, or Fred, some twenty yards from goal, turns to face Ramos before working some room to take a shot. His low-driven effort into the far corner to nil. A good, re- it's a good assist for Fred as well. And then another substitution, 72. On comes Bobby Firmino of Liverpool, as they call him there, Bobby. Uh, real name, of course, Roberto Firmino. He replaces Gabriel Jesus. And another substitution or double substitution for Peru. Alexis Arias replaces Jos- Josimar Jotun. And H- Herald Tavara replaces Christian Cueva and then more substitutions uh another substitution i should say renan lodi the atletico madrid wing back comes on he replaces alexandro um who netted the first goal remember peru have a chance in the 79th a peru free kick from the right wing strung into the area nodded backwards for the unsuspe- unsuspecting fabinho the ball is at the far post and put into the six yard box for Balera who unbelievably sends the ball into the open, sends the open air, the open net opportunity, sorry, over the crossbar. Yellow card in the 82nd to Herald Tabara. And another substitution for Brazil in the 84th, Emerson comes on, Danilo goes off. And in the closing moments, Brazil take over. 89th minute, it's Everton Ribeiro. Uh, The Flamengo man makes it 3-0. His first ever goal for the Canarinha. Interchanging with Neymar in midfield. Before driving into the penalty area. And sliding to get on the end of a nice cross from Richarlson. And he converts his chance into the roof of the netting. No chance for Gagese. It is 3-0. But Brazil not done yet. 90th plus 3. It is Richarlson after a scramble in front of goal. Great save on a shot from Firmino. Allows Richardson to put home the rebound. 4-0. Brazil in complete control of the Grupo Norte. Let's look at the table in the Grupo Norte. Okay. Brazil from two matches. Six points. Seven. Uh, sorry. Seven goals for none allowed. Second place right now is Colombia. One win. One draw. Four points. Venezuela, with that draw, jumped to third for the time being. Well, Ecuador and Peru have zero points. Okay, last night's matches. Now, we go to... um, Yes, we go to last night, Friday, June the 18th. First up is Chile versus Bolivia. Bolivia needing points because they don't want to be... They are everyone's favorite to, to be eliminated from the Zona Sud in this one, and it is Chile taking them on. Of course, this match being played in Mato Grosso, in Cuiabá, in the state of Mato Grosso, Brazil, of course. Jesus Gil of, of Spain is actually the referee. It looks like they brought in a referee from outside Comnibol. And um, the lineups in this one uh, Bolivia come out in a 4 4 2 for their manager, Cesar Farias. And the goalkeeper is Carlos Lampe, 4 4 2, like we said. Diego Ibanez is the right back. Jairo Quinteros and Adriana Justino, the pair of central defenders, with Roberto Fernandez playing as the left back. In midfield, Ramiro Vaca and Lionel Justiniano are the pair of central midfielders. To the right, Edwin Sabera, and to the left, Juan Carlos Arce. And the two attackers, Jason Chuda, on the right side of the of the attack, and on the left is Gilbert Alvarez. For Chile, the 2015 and 2016 winners of Copa America, their legendary goalkeeper Claudio Bravo is the captain, and he's in goal again in a 4-3-3. Flamengo's Mauricio Isla is the right back with Gary Mindel and Guillermo Maripan in the center, Eugenio Mena is the left. Back, Arturo Vidal, Eric, Eric Pulgar, and Charles Aranguiz are the three in midfield. And the strong attack led, of course, by another name that's been around for a long time, Eduardo Vargas. And his to his right is Gian Menezes. And to his left, Ben Breton. Ben Barreton is the goal scorer in this one. He picks up the goal in the 10th minute. Not much else going on. Bolivia unable to to pick up uh, any kind of steam. And they drop another decision 1-0. And then in the nightcap, Argentina versus Uruguay. El Clásico de la Plata. And it is, it is um, this one played, of course, in the Estadio Nacional de Brasilia. Or better known as the Manegra Incha Stadium. And Brazil's Wilton Sampaio is the referee. Here are the 11 for each team. For Uruguay, the goalkeeper, of course, is Fernando Muslera, longtime goalkeeper for for La Celeste. Uh, Giovanni Gonzalez is the right back with Jose Jimenez and Diego Godin in the center. Those two have been playing together for about 52 years um, as the central defenders for Uruguay. Um, also, longtime partners at Atletico Madrid earlier in the decade. Matias Viña is the left back. He, of course, plays for Palmeiras. In, I believe it's Palmeiras in the Br- Brasileirão. Let me double-check that. Yes, he plays for Palmeiras. Uh, the four in midfield, Federico Valverde is the right-sided midfielder. Rodrigo Betancourt of Juventus. Uh, teams with Lucas Torreira, who plays his club football for Atletico Madrid. He is on loan right now there from Arsenal. And and actually, it will be returning to Arsenal for the next season. Nicolas de la Cruz is the left-sided midfielder with Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani as the strikers. Argentina comes out with the goalkeeper Emiliano Martinez, um, Nahuel Molina, Cristian Romero, Nicolas Otamendi, and Marcos Acuña, the four in the back, uh, Rodrigo De Paul, Guido Rodriguez and Giovanni Lo Celso are the three in midfield with Lionel Messi, Latoro Martinez and Nicolas Gonzalez as the trio of attack or the three in the attack and this match promised so much but delivered so little. Um possession um went in the favor of Uruguay 55 to 45%. Um both teams pretty much matching each other on statistics, except Uruguay committed twenty-one fouls to Argentina's eleven. Um, Luis Suarez involved in a couple of of scandal scandalous um, tussles, if you will. But uh, it would be Argentina taking the lead early in the thirteenth minute from the foot of Guido Martínez. Uh, Rodriguez, excuse me, Guido Rodriguez, as uh, DePaul works a short corner, the soon-to-be Atletico Madrid player, Rodrigo De Paul, and he plays the short corner to Messi. Messi beats his man, fires across towards the far post. Rodriguez gets the better of Bettingencourt and manages to put his header off the post and in 1-0 to the Albi Celeste over the La Celeste. Another assist for Lionel Messi. And... Um, we get we get a very chippy match the rest of the way we get a lot of a lot of uh, duels Argentina take the 1-0 lead into the halftime interval Guido Rodriguez's far post header from Messi uh, from Messi remains the only difference in the match Scaloni's side looked better to start the match exposing the opposition's flank with pace via Acuna and Nicolas Gonzalez. While Messi is always a threat to win the ball at his feet. Uruguay have to uh, do have to cause do have cause, excuse me, to feel hard done after referee Wilton Pereira Sampaio denied Cavani a penalty after seemingly being sent to the ground by a Rodriguez challenge. But the truth is Tavares' men haven't yet done enough to disrupt Emiliano Martinez's clean sheet. Uh, substitutions will no doubt play a role, it says, in the second half. Uruguay potentially needing to a spark off the bench to get back into the match. Nandez and Vecino Pacino are reliable midfielders who can help progress the play. Looks as though the creativity of the Hascayeta will be a requirement. The Flamingo man, um, I was surprised he was not in the 11. I think he's one of the best 11 for for uh, Uruguay any day of the week. Um, and I think he should have started in that midfield. But uh they'll no doubt seek to exploit Uruguay will look to seek to exploit the spaces left behind as Argentina pile forward and attempt to score with hosts of options. So, sorry, Argentina will no doubt seek to exploit the spaces left in behind by Uruguay, who are looking to get an equalizer. And they have a host of options to freshen up the look with People like Palacios, um, Angel Correa, and Angel Di Maria on the bench. A substitution for Uruguay at halftime in comes Nahitan Hernandez. Out goes Rodrigo Betancourt. Uh, a yellow card to Giovanni Lo Celso in the 48th. And then more substitutions in uh, the 52nd minute. Ezekiel Palacios replaces Giovanni Lo, uh, Lo Celso. Joaquin uh, Correa replaces Lautaro Martinez. Is, again, we get very aggressive. very Lots of fouls in this match. Uh, Lucas Torreira goes into the book in the 62nd for arriving late in the back of Palacios, earning himself a yellow card. Matias Beccino would enter replacing Lucas Torreira after that. And Brian Ocampo replaces Nicolas de la Cruz. But... Uh, Uruguay having trouble going forward. Uh, Ocampo who plays his club football for Nacional de, de Montevideo where he made 50, where he's made 56 appearances scoring four goals in that time. He will definitely be looking to impress his coach. A s- counter made by Argentina on comes Angel Di Maria off goes Nicolas Gonzalez as well as Facundo Torres comes on for Giovanni Gonzalez and that that is on the other side of course um Uruguay sends in Bacundo Pac- uh, Torres for Giovanni Gonzalez but it all it all is is just a, a battle of of bodies flying everywhere this re- at times re- re- resembled somewhat of a rugby match more than it did a football match and um it's the 32nd meeting between these two sides in Copa America with Argentina holding the edge ever so slightly 14 wins to uruguay who have 13 um, and if you can do the math that leaves that leaves about five matches that ended in draws yellow card to brian ocampo in the 90th um a yellow card to joaquin Correa in the in the 90th plus one eventually uh nicolas Otamendi goes down late looks like he he got a knee from somebody uh, luis suarez thought he was wasting time stood over him We got a big scuffle, and eventually uh, the referee got it under control. Herman Pazela enters for Rodrigo de Paul in the 90th plus 3. And the referee will blow his whistle, and that Guido Rodriguez header in the 13th minute is the difference. Argentina 1, Uruguay nil, 3 points to the Albi Celeste. Let's look at the table in the Grupo Sud. As Argentina with four points lead now, although they are level on all accounts with Chile. Both teams have a win and a draw. Both teams have scored two and allowed one. Uh, they sit atop Paraguay with one match played, one victory, are in third right now on three points. While Uruguay and Bolivia have zero. Alright, thank you for listening to this extended edition to this extended episode if you're still with me at this point you don't know how much i appreciate uh your support and how much i appreciate you listening to all of this content i know i have been cranking it out like a machine and believe me i am very tired at this point but we will keep going all right we've we're through day nine of the euros we're in Matt we've completed match day two of the Copa america um tomorrow night okay sat uh, on sunday uh June the twentieth. Uh we'll have the normal, obviously, the normal um Euro twenty twenty review and then a bonus segment exclusive to the podcast again tomorrow night. I break down round five of the Brazil. We haven't talked Brazil in a few weeks. We're gonna catch up tomorrow night, so be sure to catch that. Thank you again, Mr. Mike You here. Signing off for another night. This is gonna Episode 50 of Parking the Bus. I'll catch you next time here on the PTB Media Network. Agora vamos brindando novamente. O sorriso na cara tá sempre presente. O nosso caminho é seguir em frente. Peço o teu passado e vivo o presente. E se for primeiro levo toda a gente.